98.7 FM, Arizona's sports station. Burns and Gambo starts now. Now. Straight up to o'clock on this Tuesday afternoon. Good afternoon and welcome into today's edition of the Burns and Gambo Show. Here on 98.7 FM, Arizona sports station, we are live. From the Yachting Community Studios, my name is Dave Burns, alongside the one, the only, John Gambadoro. Hi, Gambo. Birdsy, what's going on? This baseball postseason off to an intriguing Ooh. start, to say the least. Oh. Berlander getting rocked. Yeah, Berlander is getting rocked. It's 6-2 uh, it. right now. So do I. It's 6-2 right now at the top of the fourth. Seattle taking it to the Houston Astros and Justin Verlander. He's not long for this game. Meanwhile, the Phillies just won game one of their best of five against the Braves, and they held on for dear life in that game. Matt Olson hit a three-run homer in the bottom of the ninth to make it a one-run game, but Philly holds on to take a one-game-to-none lead over Atlanta with a 7-6 win. Good start wow. to the day so far. It's been fun. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it's uh, I was, Philly jumped all over Atlanta early in that game. They just go two runs in the first, two in the third, two in the fourth. It was six to one, seven to one at one point. They were just cruising, but you know, Atlanta chipped away, chipped away, gave themselves a chance in the ninth, but came up short. Yeah, yeah. Of course, then later tonight you got the Guardians taking on the Yankees. You got the Padres taking on the Dodgers. We'll keep you updated on all of the baseball stuff today. This being the first day of division playoffs across Major League Baseball. But for now, let's weigh in on our top story of the day here on the Burns and Gambo Show. Burns and Gambo, the weigh-in. Brought to you by Revitalize Weight Loss. Sometimes we joke here on the show that there are certain stories that we see when we're surfing around getting ready for the show where we click on the link and we just know it's going to be about the Cardinals, right? We just went like, okay, I'm going to click. I know the Cardinals are going to be mentioned in this story. Gambo? I wasn't sure if the Cardinals were going to be mentioned in this story until I clicked. Maybe you were. Maybe you had a different reaction until I clicked on the link and the story was on the athletic website. Coaches who are on the hot seat five games into the season. And sure enough, third name down, one Cliff Kingsbury. No, we're trying to get list. clickbait. No, we're not, Cliff. Relax. <laughs> we're not trying to get clickbait. Yeah. You made the list. They had four main guys on the list. Ron Rivera, Washington. Obviously, the NFC East is, you know, far surpassing everybody's beliefs in it. But Rivera and the commanders are doing terrible. But the reason why is simply they just don't have a quarterback. <laughs> right? I mean, they just don't have they don't have anybody. I mean, see, Carson Wentz did, is getting clobbered out there. I mean, they just don't have anybody. Did you see the trouble he got into, by the way, in the last 24 hours or so? Ron Rivera. Carson Wentz? No, Ron Rivera. He was asked a question in his press conference. Oh, he what? said the quarterback. Yeah. He said the quarterback, yeah. and then like, the quarterback. T- today on a D.C. radio show, he's like, you know, I, I kind of had to apologize to him and apologize to the team because it made it sound like I was blaming everything on him. So he kind of backed it off a little bit. But uh, but yeah, he's, he's he basically answered the question. Why is everyone four and one and you're not? And he said quarterback. But he's right. <laughs> he is right. He is right. But, but he, he yeah. knew it was it was not smart as the head coach to blame the quarterback of the team. So he no. walked that back in a big hurry today. Three years, 15 wins, 23 losses. Not having a good job. You don't have a quarterback you get. Look at Matt Rule. Matt Rule fired. Why no quarterback? If Rivera gets fired, why no quarterback? Indianapolis. Let's look at the Colts. Frank Reich. He's another guy that's on this list. Now, overall, five years, 39 wins, 30 losses, one tie. They've got an old, you know, old old beat-up quarterback. I kind of still like him, but... 
you know, he they, they've gone what? We, we've talked about this the other day. They've got like four years in a row, which is veteran quarterbacks just changing guys out. Lovey Smith with the Texans. He's off to a rough start. Just one win. But again, I mean, what's, you know, no you quarterback expect? for him. What did you I expect mean, in Houston? What did you think was going to happen when you hired Lovey Smith to be your coach? Yeah, I mean, Davis Mills. I mean, they've got no, they got no quarterback. The one guy on the list with a quarterback is Cliff. Yeah. 26 wins, 27 losses, one tie in four years, and they've got Cliff on this list. The reason that we all find it hard to believe, you know, or, or is just because they just signed Cliff to a five-year contract extension. He just got a five-year contract extension. But as we always say, yeah, it's Michael money. That's Michael money. That's not cap money. That's not, that's just Michael money. Michael right. doesn't want Cliff. Michael pays Cliff to go away. That's it. Happens all the time. So if Cliff does a terrible job, um, then they could they could move on from him. But it's just it's it's hard to believe because they literally six months ago they just gave the guy a brand new five year deal. Yeah, it, it, and for that reason, it is hard to believe. Um, I'll, I'll read. I mean, most Cardinal fans, I think, are going to know why. But I'll I'll read it just so you can have some context here if you're listening to the show. Uh, they write Cliff Kingsbury has instead directed average offenses and average squads as his record reflects. Makes no mention of the improvements from five to eight to eleven wins, but it does you. Mentioned the average offense and how the team really is kind of end of the season, just average every single year. Uh, they've stumbled out of the gate. They've struggled to overcome slow starts. Uh, Kingsbury struggles to make adjustments. I, I think we all have seen that and experienced with that. There's one line in here in particular that I, I do take a little bit of umbrage with because I, I think it kind of ignores some recent history. There's a line in here where it says the Cardinals just signed Kingsbury to an extension that runs through 2027, and they're traditionally a rather free franchise that would hesitate to pay two coaching staffs. I think huh? that forgets the Steve Wilk situation. I, <laughs> I, I think that right. over, so really overlooks a team that fired a coach after one year and quite frankly got into a little bit of hot water over it with the pending lawsuit. I think that kind of ignores that, no, they paid two coaching staffs and they did a complete overhaul after. It's just a question of whether they'd have the appetite to do it again so soon after doing it the first time. I mean, that was what? The end of the 2018 season? So that was three and a half years ago? Do they really want to do that again? And of course, all this comes down to the simple idea. You didn't have to extend Cliff Kingsbury. You didn't have to. I mean, you could have just, he was in the last year of his contract. You could have kind of played this out and wait and see. But how much of a commitment did they make to Cliff by making the commitment to Cliff when they did. That seems to be the big question here. Yeah, I think it's a commitment. I think they made a big commitment. It is. It's, you know, you look, I mean, you look kind of stupid, right? You sign a guy to a five-year deal and you fire him six months later. Like, okay, you look, that's pretty dumb. Like, that, that that's not a good look if you ended up firing him. But what would it take? What would it take for Cliff to really be on the hot seat? I, I don't think he's truly on the hot seat now, but he could get there. I mean, you could get there yeah. very quickly yeah. if this offense doesn't figure out how to get how to get going. It always takes, you know, a quarter and a half before they can get something going. If they they should now they've got a built in guy. If they decided to part ways with Cliff, that Vance is your head coach. I mean no if ends or buts about it. Vance would be the head coach if Cliff, if if they decided to move on from Cliff. I don't think he's there, but I would, I, I don't, I don't, I wouldn't put it past him to get there. Like I think he can. 
get on this list if he continues to to, to falter with this offensive machine that they have not being able to work right. I, I think that's a really good way of putting it. He's not there, but the path to him getting there, I can see it. Uh, I mean, right. I, I I can't. And there, and it's it's not it's not fair to put him there now. They're two and three, and and I, I'm I'm really surprised by the amount of people who are surprised the Cardinals lost to the Philadelphia Eagles. I mean, we kind of expected it. We kind of expected this to be their record, and yet you know we're gonna have another story later today about you know teams that should be panicked after the start that they're off to. I, I don't think anybody's really surprised. The Cardinals. Are two and three. I think the path to get there is if they end the season, they've got what two wins now. If they end the season as a five and 12 football team, if they end the season as a six and 11 football season, if it's if it's that bad, then I can see them doing something. I think you're right. I think the humiliation that would be associated with giving a guy a five-year contract extension only to decide after one year that he's not the guy is a look that they will avoid at all costs. At every single turn, they will choose to not do it that way unless the record is so bad, 5-11 or 5-12, 6-11. I think in that regard, that will be the thing that motivates them to act. If it's just one of those really, really bad seasons where they just go south. That's it. That's the only circumstance I can see them doing it. If it's an average 8-9 season, even a 7-10 and 10 season, I think they give them one more year. But if the bottom falls out of this thing record-wise, I think they make a move. I or think they could be, make a move. I, I think, they could I, make a move. I think a 5-12 and 12 season may get him axed before the end of the season. You think? Because if, it, if the home losses continue to mount, this team's lost eight straight home games. Yeah, I think if you're trending towards 5-12, and 12, maybe there's a chance that he doesn't even get there. Because that's a... That's a collapse. You were a playoff team last year. You expected to make a jump this year. If you go backwards to that, if you go backwards to five and twelve, and you're and you know that would mean a lot of things aren't going right. And you know maybe you don't maybe you don't survive. Like I said, I think he could get to the hot seat. I don't think he's there. But it's interesting that if you take a look at the the, the coaches that are on the hot seat. He's he's the only one with with a with a young talented quarterback. Yeah, and that you would think would make a difference in that regard. When we come back on the Burns and Gambo show, Phoenix Suns one more preseason game to go. They lose to the Nuggets last night. What are we plucking out of that performance? We'll talk about it next on the Burns and Gambo show. Burns and Gambo afternoons two till six on the Arizona Sports App. Center from Texas A&M, number six, DeAndre Ayton. DeAndre Jordan. (laughs) It's not like the Suns haven't had one of their, you know, one of their bigs end up in Denver. Everybody remember Antonio McDice? Like maybe this guy's just foreshadowing what's going to happen in the future. Give me, give me Vince Murata on line one stat. I, I need to know. I, 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 right. need, I need to know how close he's ever come to doing something like that. Right. <laughs> give me, give the me. echo is the best part, though. No. Oh, no, no. Him him correcting himself is the best part. DeAndre Ayton. DeAndre Jordan. <laughs> That's so good. Oh, uh, that was the Nuggets PA announcer last night accidentally announcing Nuggets center DeAndre yeah. Jordan is DeAndre Ayton and then correcting himself. I would have I would have done something like if I, I would have done something like DeAndre Ayton 
<laughs> worst nightmare, DeAndre Jordan. You would have added. I would have done something like a, to make like it a look. dragged out apostrophe yeah. S on Aiton's last DeAndre name to make it sound like you meant to do it that Aiton's way. Aiton's worst Aiton's nightmare. That's what it is. That's what yeah. he is. Yeah. It's just, like something. So funny. So so funny. That, and I know this is just radio, but I encourage you to go look at the video of it. Uh, I think Dwayne Rankin posted it on his Twitter account, the beat writer for AZ Central for the Suns. The look on DeAndre Jordan's face is like, man, what the hell? What the hell? Seriously, I'm at home. I'm at home. I play for the Nuggets. You, you can't get my name right? The home PA guy can't get my name right? Really Isn't funny that where stuff. the book thing happened last year? Oh, yeah, it's the Amir Coffee thing. Where they put yeah. up the picture of Amir Coffee on the board, and he went off for like forty nine against them or something what like is that. Going yeah. What is going on in Denver? I don't know. It's the high altitude. You know, it just makes people loopy in the brain. Yeah, the um, high altitude. Yeah, definitely, I think it might be the marijuana. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Suns lose to the Nuggets last night, one hundred seven, one hundred five in the preseason. They got one more game against the Kings, I believe, tomorrow. Thumbs up, and that's it. They're done with the preseason, and then the regular season opener. In my goodness. Just a week and a day they take on the Dallas Mavericks in games that count. Last night, Denver, Gambo sat Jokic. They sat Jamal Murray, Aaron Gordon, Contavious Caldwell-Pope. Um, and the Suns lost mostly because the, the bench players they played the fourth quarter weren't as good as the bench players the Nuggets played in the fourth quarter. And that was that. What were some of our takeaways from that game? What did you see? Well, I think that, you know, Denver didn't play anybody, right? Murray didn't play. Jokic didn't play. We don't really care about that. I, I think the positives are DeAndre Ayton had a big game. Yep. 19 points and 11 rebounds with three steals and a block. He shot 9 for 12 from the field. Um, I thought Dwayne Rankin pointed out a really good uh, had a really good point when he just talked about you know how Mikael Bridges is handling the ball more to initiate the offense and trying to run more plays through Aiton, which I think is important. I'm not really listen that game against Australia. I I know a lot of people you know uh, that made a big deal out of that. I, I'm really not the Lakers game. No Anthony Davis. This game no Jokic. It's the preseason. We're not going to put too much into it. But I, you know me, I always care about substitution patterns right. and things like that. Yep. Damian Lee, Tory Craig started because Cam Johnson's out. Okay. Uh, but then Damian Lee was the first guy that came off the bench, and then Landale came in, and then Dwayne Washington came in, and then Okoji came in. And I like to see that, like, this bench, you know, I'm, I'm a little worried about this bench. I know you are, too, so I'm really going to see how he handles this, how, how Monty handles the bench, the minutes. Does he try to play more starters with the bench if the bench struggles? So I just keep my eye on that stuff. Look, I'm not – Koji might be able to defend a little bit, but but he, can, he can't score. Like, that's why he hasn't been able to get in games. He can't score the basketball. So that's going to be a problem for the Phoenix Suns. I think out of the three guys they got, you know, the one guy that could score it a little bit is Landale. They tried to post him up a little bit last night. Yep. We know he could shoot it, so they're trying to see if there's ways that maybe they can play him and DeAndre Ayton together. So I think more than anything, Bernsey, I think it's continued experimentation by Monty in these preseason games and nothing more. Yeah, I, I would I, I would agree with a lot of that. I continue to be fascinated, and I really want to watch this the more we get into the regular season. Chris Paul not using him on the ball. We saw more of it last night. We've seen a lot of it this preseason. It, I, I really suspect, and I, I don't know, I haven't talked to anybody over there about this yet, but I suspect that they'll use a 
lot of these early regular season games to experiment with Paul off the ball and not bringing the ball up and not initiating the offense, at least in the ways that he's accustomed to and we're accustomed to seeing. And he's already expressed that he's okay with that. I don't know how much of a difference that's going to make in terms of the rest and his ability to stay fresher throughout the course of a season. But I I think they're committed to at least trying it. And I think they need to be committed to trying as much as they can. I think you you said it, and I'm I'm very concerned about the bench. I'm very very interested in how Monty uses the bench. Man, Landale's gotten a lot of run early so far in the preseason. We haven't seen a minute out of Bismack Biombo. Maybe Monty doesn't feel like he's got to see a minute out of Biombo. He knows what he's got, but it feels like. Landale's going to be a guy they're going to use when the regular season rolls around. That he's just not the 10th man, the 11th man, the 12th man down the bench. That he's going to be a guy who gets some run. And so I'll be curious to see what he's got. And of the three newcomers, I still believe Damian Lee can bring something to the table that's a little beyond being the 10th guy off the bench. Yeah, we totally disagree. I know on we, that. Do. we do. I, I just I think I don't there's think something there. I think there's something there. I think he's the 12th guy off the bench. I don't think he's anything more than that. I just don't. We'll see. We'll see, though. The Landale thing, listen, here's the thing on him. You know, St. Mary's kid, you know, he you know played last year and was a you know, role player, you know, got you know, a few minutes here and there, 10 minutes, 11 minutes a game. He's the guy that they like because he's different. He's just different. You can play some center. You can play some power forward. You can move him out and have him shoot threes. You can try to post him up a little bit. He's just different. So he doesn't, you know, he's so different than DeAndre, and he's so different than Biz that if you do want to space the floor, he's a guy that they, they, you can't just leave him out there and because he'll shoot the three, you know, as a big guy. So, I, I mean, I do like I do like what he brings to the table and being a different guy. How much you want to rely on him? Yeah. I don't know. That'll be interesting to see. Um, he's only been in the league for one year. We don't know a, a whole lot about him, but he has potential to score. And if they need scoring on that second unit, maybe he's the guy that gives him that punch. The guy in this whole conversation that I got to admit makes me nervous is is Tory Craig. And it's funny we've had this real hot and cold relationship with Tory. The first time around, he was great. The second time around, he was not. Um, he was the guy who got the start last night for Cam Johnson. If the roster remains unchanged, I imagine Tory Craig, with this lineup, the way it's constructed, gets some run with that second unit. And, you know, a year ago, I would have said, great, based off of how he did two years ago. What we saw last year during the postseason and after the trade with the Pacers, I don't know if he's a guy you want to rely on to be one of your main cogs off the bench. So he's, of all of these guys, we most of them are mysteries to us. Lee and Landale and Akogi and what they're going to bring. But if Tory Craig is one of the main, you know, first two or three guys off the bench, that to me is like what's perfectly symbolic of my questions about this bench. Like that, that, that they're off their bench. They should do better than Tory Craig is their seventh best guy, their eighth best he guy. Needs to be that you're right. And, and I just don't think he's right. good enough. I just don't think he's good enough to be their eighth best guy. That's got no. me deeply concerned about this I, team. I, you're right. When you bump a guy up that should be your tenth or eleventh best guy, and now you make him your seventh best guy, you're in trouble. I think you're in some trouble. Where's the scoring going to come from? Landale, Lee, Okoji, Craig, Payne, um, Landry, Bismack. Where's the scoring coming from? How are you going to score with that? With that? With those guys? Cam John. Now, there's a lot of thought that Cam Johnson will play with the second unit quite a bit. A lot of thought that Cam will come out of the game earlier in the first quarter. 
And then, like, he might be the first sub. Cam Johnson might be the first sub, so that way he could play with the second unit when he comes, when he checks back into the game. Yeah. I can see give them scoring. I can see that. Because, like, you can't just, you can't, you can't take, you're going to have to play. You know, Book's going to play with these guys. Cam Johnson's going to play with these guys. You're going to have to look at it like that. You're not going to be able to look at it like, oh, they got all these guys. In it. Who's going to? The guys that are going to have to score is going to be like Book when he stays in with those guys. Cam Johnson when he stays in with those guys. Because there's not a proven legitimate scorer, you know, on that on that roster as a second guy. Landale, Lee, Koji, Craig, Payne, Landry, Biz. I don't, the, you know, Ish, Wainwright. There isn't that bona fide scorer. So I think the scoring may have to come from whoever the starters are that stay in the game and play with these guys. When we come back on the Burns and Gambo show, Diamondback season is done and it's time for the manager, Troy Lavello to stop by for his last time during this 2022 season. We'll talk with the skip next on the Burns and Gambo show. Your exclusive home of the D-backs. Diamondbacks. 98.7 FM, Arizona's sports station. D-backs manager Tori Lovello joins Burns and Gambo to talk D-backs baseball. Welcome back. It's the Burns and Gambo show here on this Tuesday afternoon. And for the final time in the 2022 season, we get to talk baseball with the manager of the Diamondbacks, Tori Lovello. He joins us on the Arizona Sports Line. Tori, once again, thank you for joining us here at the end of the season. We appreciate it. How are you doing? I'm doing good, guys. How are you? Good, Skip. All right, before we do a deep dive into the uh, D-back season, which we want to do, I want to I get your thoughts on what Buck Showalter did last night and having the umpires come out and check Musgrove. Um, and then Bob Melvin responded afterwards and Buck said, I did what's best for the Mets and I don't care about hurt feelings. Give me, without sitting on the fence, give me your thoughts. Was Buck right or wrong in doing that? Yeah, I've been thinking about that since it happened. And, um, you know, I feel like if you're going to do it, you got to go all in and, and do it in the first inning. Um, it, it, it took on a different tone as soon as he did it in the fifth inning, whatever the score was, whatever the situation was. And, you know, but Buck had advanced intel. You know, um, I get information during the game. I understand where Buck is coming from. You see the spin rates. You know, it's 22 spins, 2200 spins, and all of a sudden it jumps up 2400 spins. You get that. You get that information. It's awfully suspicious. And look, um, everybody wants to be at their best. And and you know, whether Musgrove is doing it or not, I have no idea. But I feel like if Buck was going to do it, he should have gone all in. Has there been any time in in your managerial career where you questioned anything Musgrove was doing? Not Musgrove. Um, you know, I don't, I don't want to say that, that, that the sticky stuff is completely out of the game. I firmly believe, like I said, we have advanced intel um, of the guys that are doing it. And I'll, I'll just fire a warning shot. You know, I might get a, bait, a ball that comes out of the game. I'll put it up on the, up on the um, railing there to let them know, like, hey, this is your notice. Or I'll go out to an umpire and say, look, this is a situation. Maybe you can talk to the catcher. Uh, let them know that we're on this. And if I need to, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to open this up and see where this game is at that point in time. So um, we we do feel like it's still in the game. We're on it. Jeff Bannister, uh, the bench coach, is one of the best at detecting it. And sometimes we'll get balls and it's got pine tar, pine tar all over it. You know, that needs to stop. That's breaking the rule. So I think that's what Buck was trying to get to. If it's breaking a rule, you're right. Let's throw out the feelings. It's about getting the job done and doing it right. 
um, and that's what he decided, and that, that, that's where he went. But, yeah, I've had suspicions of certain guys. Musgrove is not one of them. Troy Lovello, the manager of the Diamondbacks, our guest here on the Burns and Gambo Show. When you think about the 2022 season, now that you've got a chance to look back on it, I think about the young kids coming up. I think about Gallon and Kelly. I think about the bullpen. When you boil it down to what will you remember about 2022, what will you remember about this past season, Tori? Yeah, probably the growth and development of of eight homegrown players that have got were drafted in our system and came through and then impacted us on a very high level. Uh, the guys that you mentioned, you know, the Gallon, Merrill Kelly, just a just a great job by our front office of identifying guys to bring in uh, from from a different avenue. But I'm going to think of those eight guys that you know when we set out on this journey, um, you know, six plus years ago as a group that came in, we wanted to develop our own players and we could we can incorporate our own concepts and have them grow up understanding how important things were to us, certain things were to us. And we watched that happen and our guys excelled, our young players excelled. And that that makes me feel very good. We left a lot of chips on a lot a lot of chips out there on the table and I watched other teams rake those chips away. So, you know, that the bitterness, the the, the frustration, that is still sitting in my belly right now and I think that's gonna motivate me to have a very healthy offseason to keep us pushing forward because we gotta get some things done next year. A lot of payback next year and to me that's what's most important yeah i said this when the season was over i'm gonna miss watching you guys play i, I really enjoyed every day game in game out watching that team battle and, and and play hard and those young kids play but let me ask you about a couple positions and i want to see if you feel like you could solve these problems internally or you've got to go outside externally let's start with catcher where do you think you guys are at catcher yeah, I think we're, we're in a decent spot. You know, catching is a premium position. It's hard to come by guys like Carson Kelly. And, um, and Don Barso is no longer going to be a catcher. He's going to be an outfielder, and it's an emergency type of a catcher for us. So in back of him, you have Herrera. Uh, you have Hummel. But I think if you're looking to start at a certain spot, I think we're, 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 we're doing just fine. Of course, I want to see more offense from Carson. We feel like he's a very offensive, a very capable offensive player. Um, but when you want to, you know, start out and, and control the staff, control the, the, the game planning. You go back to the Jeff Mathis, the Chris Iannetta, the offense was maybe a little bit of secondary of the thought to those guys. I think we're at a good good point in time, but we got to get more out of Carson Kelly. There's no doubt about it. He, he accepts that. He'll admit that. He feels like offensively he could have done a little bit more, but getting him healthy, giving him a full season, that's our starting, starting point with him. All right, I won't get to bullpen because we all know the issues there, but give me shortstop and give me third base and what you feel like internally or externally Externally at, the, at those positions. Yeah, we got to develop some some infielders. You know, we've done a really good job of identifying some of the outfielders, and we're very healthy in that area. But we got to keep developing some young infielders. I think Jerry Geraldo Podomo was was solid as a backup, as an understudy to Nick Ahmed, and Nick all of a sudden flashes out uh, and has to have a surgery that ends ends the season. Um, so I felt like we had an understudy step in there uh, and do a good job. I feel like third base is a little bit of more of an open book for us. Um, you know, out of necessity, we had Josh Rojas step in there and do a really, really nice job. But I feel like we got to get more out of him defensively as well. We've got uh, Manuel Rivera as a guy that can play third base. But I feel like we got to develop some young infielders the way that we've had this core group of young outfielders pop up. we got guys. We have guys, Gambo, that we want to develop inside of our bullpen as well. 
that's the homework assignment that I gave all of our pitching coaches when the season ended. I said, we have got to get better in every area, and I want to highlight the, the, the bullpen. Find out what other teams are doing. Find out what the Rays are doing. Find out what the Mariners are doing. How are they getting really good at developing or picking out other other players from other organizations? That's our starting point with the staff. We'll figure that out as well, not just with the bullpen, but with the position players. Our exit interview with Troy Lovello, manager of the Diamondbacks here on the Burns and Gambo Show. His final appearance of the season uh, comes at the end of the season. I'm glad you used the phrase uh, homework because for you and for your coaching staff and for the player, what homework needs to be done in the offseason about Cattell Marte and the seemingly step back he took this year for you guys? Yeah, well, when you, when you break down a season, right, it was probably a very average season. Um, his, his OPS was, was you know, right at league average. But this is a very, very gifted and talented player. And I feel like when he's healthy, we know what he could do. I don't want us to keep going backwards and saying, and, and I'm guilty of it. I've talked about 19 a lot. You know, 19 was a special year for him. Well, I want to talk about what he can keep doing as he's moving forward. So I think there's some agility, some lower leg stuff that he can do to keep his legs healthy when he's on the field. He's probably going to be one of the best players that I ever managed as far as talent goes. But that only gets us so far. So the homework assignment that we gave to tell and all the others that are going to be invested in his season next year is that how are we going to keep him healthy, keep that flexibility in his lower half and work on some agility so he can move laterally, left and right, at full speed the way we've seen him do it before without being in protect mode. And once I think he gets that game moving in a very positive, easy direction, it, it starts moving. He just get out of his way and he carries a ball club. It's been very lean for him over the past couple of years. But lean by our standards because we know there's more in there. When you're talking about being an average major league player with a war that's a very positive number, he's great. He's perfect. But there's more in there. we got to tap into that by keeping him healthy first and foremost and then getting him on that horse and riding it as far as he can. So many young guys making their debut in your rotation this year. How wide open is your rotation and how many of those spots are up for grabs next year, Skip? Yeah, it's hard to say at this point in time. Um, you know, we like to have five with us and six, seven, eight, nine sitting in triple A because we know that we're going to tap into that, that group as a resource. So you, we can't have enough starting pitching. And that's our starting point. But I know it's centered around, you know, if you got Gallon, you've got, you've got Kelly, um, you know, where does Bum fit in? Uh, I don't know. I don't know that answer, but I want him to fit in. And, you know, once we, once we figure that out and where it all sits, uh, lays down, we got really good young starting pitching that we all saw and we all loved. So those those guys need to get healthy, they need to keep growing and learning, and then we, we're going to go. And once we get to spring training, I'm going to explain to every single one of them, as I did at the, their exit meeting, next season, nothing is guaranteed. It's grabs, it's block one. And once you get there, we got to get to block two, and it's going to be competitive. And I think competitiveness eliminates complacency. And I don't like complacency. I like comfortable players inside of the clubhouse letting them be themselves. But between the wide lines, we need to go out and execute and fire at a really good pace. Once we get there, we're going to be a good baseball team. And they all know. They're all unnoticed. They better be ready on day one of spring training. Can you make it through another season of continued struggles for Madison Bumgarner? 
I don't want to. Um, and, you know, we, we've seen him grind. We've seen him, you know, try to make adjustments. We've seen him, you know, get to certain points in time where he started to get going in a very, very positive direction. We want that role to continue the way we've seen it uh, in years past. So I I know that it's been a very trying year for, for him. And that, to me, is my biggest concern. But I don't, I don't want to go through what we've gone through over the past couple of years with him. I know he doesn't want to. He's expressed the desire to have a very good, strong offseason to where he's going to go out and make sure that he's, he's race ready so he can come into spring training and compete at a very high level. That, that's what we want to see from him. Jory, you've been great with us all year long. We appreciate every single Tuesday afternoon chat we've had with you. We wish you a nice, relaxing offseason. We look forward to talking to you at some point during the offseason. You've been great with us as always. You know we appreciate it. Likewise, boys. I'll talk to you soon. Have a good one. All right, thanks, Kip. That's Troy Lavello joining us here on the Arizona Sports Line for his final visit of the 2022 season. You can, as always, text us your thoughts on the FanDuel text line at 620-620. When we come back, is it time to panic for the Arizona Cardinals? And should the Cardinals be panicking along with us? We'll talk about it coming up. Burns and Gambo. The Burns and Gambo need to know. Twitter poll presented by Sanderson Ford. All right, the reason we're going to ask this question is going to become clear, clearer in about 15 minutes because we have a topic devoted specifically to this question based off of a preview that was written about the Suns by John Hollinger, a guy that Gambo and I both respect. So we'll explain why we're asking this question in a minute, but Mitch is here. He's in for Eric today, and he's got our Twitter poll question today, and it's a simple one and right to the point. Mitch, to what do you got? To clarify, I was going to be here anyway. Well, that's right. Sure. But, but in terms of doing... Required to be this yes. particular function, uh, the yes. the role of afternoon contributor. I am usurping it just for today, for the day, as yes. far as I know. Yes, you're taking it today. All right, Gambo. I don't know if you've seen the Twitter page today, but this is a really simple question. Okay, have the Phoenix Suns peaked? Yes or no? Oh man. <laughs> hmm. And it, I mean, it's a, it's a good question. If you want, you can defer your answer to two hours from now, but I'm curious. Based on the roster the way it is right now, right now, I would lean towards yes. But I don't think that the roster is going to stay this way. It's one of those, I can only answer the question with the information I have in front of me. And the information I have in front of me and the roster I have in front of me, yes, I think they've peaked. I, th- I think I think the way things are right now in this snapshot moment. Now I hope that there's, and again we'll get into the preview piece because it's mentioned in the preview piece as well that they they get aggressive around the trade deadline when the trade season opens up and they can get right back into the mix. But right now I feel like it's peaked a little bit. Okay. Survey say I almost fear this is trending the way of early two thousands Nets where it's like they got to that high point, but. Will they ever get back there? I don't know. And the audience seems to agree right now. 55.2%, in fact, say yes, the Phoenix Suns have peaked. Well, 44.8% are sitting on no. 
55. That would suck so bad. 45. Oh, I know. If that was, if that was, I would really suck if it was like a two-year. You know, we'll talk about this a little bit. But yeah. if it was like a just two-year thing. That would, that would suck. Yeah, that would absolutely suck. Uh, that's the poll question. You can find it on the Burns and Gambo Twitter page. If you're not following us on social media, we'd appreciate it if you did. It's a great way to keep up with the show while we're doing it. At Burns and Gambo, one word is where you can find it on Twitter. Give us a follow. Like some of the good stuff. We'll uh, always keep you updated on what's going on with the show. And of course, we also tweet out the links uh, to the podcast so you can listen to the show uh, if you're not able to catch us from 2 until 6. Um, there were I want to mention this now because I think I meant to mention it earlier in the show and I forgot. Gambo, you broke the news earlier that the Cardinals are going to sign a running back and add him to their practice squad. That running back is Corey Clement, yes, who formerly of the Philadelphia Eagles, also played for the Dallas Cowboys. Apparently there were a whole bunch of running backs at a tryout, and Corey Clement was the one who stood out to the Cardinals. Yeah, which would mean you know just some insurance right here with a bunch of running backs banged up, three guys banged up from that last game. They go out there and they get a you know, veteran player in, in Corey Clement. He was a great running back back at Wisconsin. He's been in this league you know, for five years. He's got 63 games under his belt and uh, you know, average, a nice healthy average of 4.1 yards per carry in his career. So he gives them some insurance uh, in, case that, uh, in case that running back room struggles. Now we know they got the kid from USC, Keontae Ingram. We're expecting to see him this week and that's why they kept five running backs, right? That's why they kept five running backs. But I, I do expect that Clement will be, you know, is going to be signed to the practice squad and will be an option for them if they need him. Yep, and along those lines, um, the Cardinals also have released wide receiver Andre Pacellia from the active roster, and they've released offensive lineman Danny Isadora from the practice squad. So when more information is given to us, we'll give it to you. But Gambo had the news earlier today via his Twitter account, at Gambo987, that the Cardinals are going to sign running back Corey Clement. The uh, To pay off the tease, as we like to say in the business, the reason why we're talking about panic when it comes to the Arizona Cardinals. Of course, your guy Adam Shine wrote a column for NFL.com in which he wrote, Time to panic. Here are nine teams under pressure after a slow start to the 2022 season. The Arizona Cardinals, in addition, I might add, to their division rivals Rams and Seahawks, the Arizona Cardinals made the list at number four. Shine calls out their game management at the end of the Eagles game with the spike or the non-spike and the or and the slide, non-slide, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, the missed field goal. Um, the, it was he writes it was a mind-bogglingly goofy and yet depressingly predictable outcome for this football team. The Cardinals have talent; they don't get it done in crunch time. That's on the highly paid, underachieving quarterback right. and the recently extended, underachieving head coach. Arizona is two and three and on a road. To nowhere, Adam Shine okay. says. Okay, I, I did, I did, I'm fascinated by this, and, and and there's two other teams that are mentioned here: the Los Angeles Rams and Seattle are two teams in the end. This bunch of teams mentioned, but these are the two teams that are mentioned. The Broncos are in there. The Packers are in there. Packers should be in there. Um, but the three teams in the NFC West are the Cardinals, the Rams, and Seattle. Now, my opinion here. I would much rather be in Arizona's spot than the Rams or the Seattle spot. And I'll tell you why. Seattle can't stop anybody. They've, their defense has given up 35 points per game since week two, the worst in the NFL. Like Their defense is really, really bad. There's no help on the way. It's that bad. The Rams' offense is terrible. They're, they're terrible. 19 points combined over the last two weeks. They're 29th in points. They're 26th in offense. That offensive line isn't getting better with the snap of a finger. It's not. 
Matthew Stafford's thrown a lot of interceptions. He's got a league-high 21 sacks taken. Bernsey, I'd rather be the Cardinals because... I, I still think that what they're pointing to is it's, it's Murray, it's Murray. Okay, I still think Murray can get himself out of this and play at a higher level. I don't think the Rams' offense can do a damn thing or Seattle's defense could do a damn thing. For the Cardinals, like, I, I, it's not like you have this one glaring hole. It's like, oh, my God, because what the Rams in Seattle have, that, that you, 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 you can't overcome that. That's going to bury you if you're those two teams. Yeah, yeah. no, those are good points. And I, I, I'm not surprised the Cardinals are on this list. It's strange. The way they've played to get to two and three, I would agree. It's, it's kind of panicky. They haven't looked good. They haven't looked good. They haven't played well. They've played 20 quarters plus one overtime, and I think they've had the lead for one and a half of those quarters against the Carolina Panthers. No one's going to sit here on this show and try to sell you the goods and let you know that the Cardinals, hey, the Cardinals are great. They're two and three. They're right where we thought they were going to be. No. But at the end of the day, they are right where a lot of people thought they were going to be, two and three. I'm reserving any and all judgment on what this team is capable of and what they can do until they get DeAndre Hopkins back. There's just, there's no reason to make any bold declarations about what the Arizona Cardinals are or what they could be until DeAndre Hopkins comes back. And so until then, you just sort of muddle along and survive until you get him back, and then you see what you can do when he's back. But until then, you know, panic over the way they've played? Yeah, they, they've played terrible up until this point. They're, they're fortunate to be 2-3. and three. But a 2-3, and three, getting their best player back after one more game, they're not in this horrible... You know, position where the season is doomed. Let's see how things are yeah. when D hops back. And it's not like Andrew Whitworth is coming out of retirement if the Rams no. to solidify that left tackle spot. Well, the Legion of Boom just you know but got ten years younger and they're going to come play for Seattle. So when I see some of these other teams that are mentioned here with glaring, glaring weaknesses that are not going to be fixed overnight, and then you look at the Cardinals and they're like, all right, little game management and okay, their kicker missed the forty three yarder. Okay, if that's Prater, it doesn't miss. It. He should be back hopefully this week. And they're not getting it done in crunch time. I, I think all of that stuff is like fixable to where some of the other teams that are mentioned here. I don't think their issues are fixable. Yeah. Just announced Dead and Company will be heading to Auction Pavilion on May 23rd for their last tour. Tickets go on sale this Friday at 10 a.m. You can win a pair now by visiting ArizonaSports.com. Going back to the subject of our poll question Have the Phoenix Suns peaked? That's next. Burns and Gambo.